if you're gonna lead, lead by example, right? Like I said before, do the right thing even if no one's watching because someone's always watching, right? Set, set an example, create a culture of transparency where people can come talk to you. They can come tell you, hey, I'm not really loving what I'm doing here. I'd love to do another opportunity, right? And have them have the, the trust in you that they can do that without thinking they're gonna get fired tomorrow. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Lead the Team Nation. Wow. Hang on to your hats. I've got Eric Leibowitz here who is the Chief Information Security Officer over at TELUS with over 20 years in cybersecurity. He's a strong leader who's experienced in building and maturing information security programs for large financial services and technology organizations. TELUS is a global technology leader with more than 81,000 employees on five different continents. They're in aerospace, transportation, so cybersecurity, and defense um, and Eric started his career back in the day on Wall Street, where he led a global team of security professionals that implemented a 24-7 security operations center to monitor threats and respond to attacks over at Lehman Brothers. Yes, that Lehman Brothers. And Eric then moved over to Freddie Mac, where he built and led multiple teams in different security disciplines, such as identity and access management, management governance, risk, and compliance, and security monitoring, and incident response. Eric's attributes, attributes include rather strong leadership and communication skills with, with his ability to translate technical and risk-based solutions to senior management, as well as business partners, which in the land of IT, man, that is huge. Yep. He also has demonstrated a track record of delivering innovative security solutions that meet corporate strategic goals, while promoting a team-oriented work environment. Eric, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. We're going to have a lot of fun today. And let's just hit this right now. Defining career moments, right? We all have one or two. Sometimes they're happening and we don't even actually recognize them, recognize them when they're happening. But we look back and we're like, wow, that was a big moment. For you, what has been that career-defining moment? So it's interesting the way that you say it, because I, I think about this on a regular basis. So back when I first started my IT career and I was on Wall Street, I had gotten to a point where I was the, the all around IT person, right? Did everything from installing software to fixing printers and wiring network closets and all the fun, exciting things us IT people do. <laughs> and it got to a point where in the, in the home office in New York, I also supported the executives that were there. They did have a dedicated executive support person, but since the company split their headquarters between New York and Chicago, mm -hmm. that person was out in Chicago and they were looking to put someone in that position here in New York. And so considering I did the work already and I was very familiar with it, I applied for the job. And when the opportunity came up and they offered me the job, it really wasn't a salary increase, but they did expect me to potentially drive to the CEO's house if his home Wi-Fi went down or travel on a trip with him just to be his 
IT support person if he needed it. And, you know, it was one wow. of those situations where I said, I'm happy to take on the additional responsibility, but I would love to love to make sure that I'm compensated for it. And I had a, a, a the, the person at the time, the hiring manager basically came to me and said, look, you've look at it this way. You've hit the peak of your career. This is this is kind of this will be the role that you go into that you'll you'll never leave. This will be the highest position you'll achieve. And I think you shouldn't worry about salary and you'll you'll get to where you want to be eventually. And so, you know, it took me a little bit. I considered it. I, I turned the role down. And not long after I, I left that IT role and went to Lehman Brothers for my first security role. And my career has skyrocketed since then. So wow. my wife and I always joke about this, that this person will call him Dave, the hiring manager. Right. Whenever you run into a Dave in your career, it's time to reevaluate what's going on and potentially look to to pivot and go elsewhere. So it may have been a defining moment. 15 years ago, right? But I still think about it to this day. And I've run into a few other Daves in my career and I've navigated away and, and my career has done well wow. because of that. So he was like, hey, this is the end of the road. And you're like, no, this is the end of this road, but I can still go get on another one. Yeah, I very politely and, and, turned him and down and, and I'm very happy I did. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important because you, you could have just stayed there and been on call. And for a lot of people, maybe that's the road for them. But the fact that you knew yourself and you wouldn't be satisfied doing that, it sounds like. Yeah, so you had to move and do it. I mean, how, how long did it take you or, or what, what were the questions you were thinking to yourself when you ran into it, Dave? And the, the, the big problem yeah. is, is he right? Right. Is <laughs> this, am I at the peak of my career? Am I, am I at the point where I say, okay, I've achieved everything I can. And that, that's what gets me thinking. Right. And, and every time since then, the answer has been no. Right. You want to do something bigger. You want to do something more. And so it's time to go turn and go after it. Well, wow. so fast forward, you go to Lima. I mean, so you you're basically going deep in the financial sector sector initially. And I feel like there's a trend where there's a lot of cybersecurity executives that sort of cut their teeth in the financial world. Now, is that just because we're all doing online banking and they're sort of cutting edge or what's, or what's going on in that industry that's generating so many darn cybersecurity executives. Yeah. Well, for sure. Cutting edge, right. Think about if I remember online banking, I had a stack of discs this big that I was using to connect to my online banking, mm -hmm. the little three and a half inch floppy discs, if anyone remembers those. So, but that was cutting edge at the time. So I think financial services typically have bigger budgets a lot of staff. And so they, mm -hmm. that's a good place to cut your teeth. But the problem is you're talking money and, and a, a, a ton of personally identifiable information that, that malicious actors are always interested in. So they are constantly the targets of cyber attacks. And so it's a good place yeah. to get started because you get your hands on everything. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's interesting too, to sort of think about on your career search, thinking about the industry that would be most supportive to your development in that. Yeah. And it's interesting, like if you want to, if you have an interest, that might be a great, you know, a great place to go and, and get your start. Um, yeah. And then you go from there to Talos, which is, I mean, to be honest, most people, it's probably the biggest company people don't know about, right? Yes. I mean, it's, even I was like, I mean, I've heard of Talos, but I'm like 80,000 employees. Yeah. Why is it such a great, well-kept secret? You know, I think we just we just don't have a, a huge presence in North America yet. If you mm -hmm. go over to mm -hmm. France, we are the the Lockheed Martin or Raytheon of France, right? Yeah, we're the yeah, biggest yeah. defense contractor. I think we're 
10% owned by the French government, right? There, there's a significant amount of work that we do in that space. Mm-hmm. Here in the in the US, if you think about it, when you fly on an airplane, we do a lot of the in-flight entertainment system. So whether it's the screen in the seat in front of you or the Wi-Fi and the content, right? You may see when you go to load up and buy the Wi-Fi, it says provided by Talus. So right, it is it is the biggest company that nobody knows about, but it is a huge company. So just working for a French company, you're an American, I'm assuming. Yes. So you're able to speak English. Do you, do you speak French? I do not. I do is not. There, thankfully, is, English is our, is our, I guess, our, our core language because okay. we are in so many different countries that are natively English speaking, like the UK and Australia. And so every, uh, in, in France, I would say majority of that, everyone has to be bilingual. Bilingual, to be okay. To communicate with the other regions. Yeah. So uh, do you ever feel like, like, man, I wish I knew French because those two French executives are in the corner and they're speaking French. And I'm like, what's, then you walk up and they convert to English. You're like, what did I miss? We we had had auditors come out from France uh, at the beginning of this year and in the room, they're talking and they're asking questions in English. Then they go sidebar and talk in France, in in French. I'm like, they're talking about me. I know it, but it'll be be great to know. It's actually something I'm starting to look into is to see if I can, if I can do one of those uh, classes where I could start to learn at least just to be able to, to understand a little bit of what's going on in a meeting that maybe they're not speaking primarily English. Well, I, I, uh, well, my first role, I work for a company and I traveled a lot in America a lot and I learned Spanish in, um, in, in college and then through some immersion things. But my buddy told me whenever I'm visiting contractors, other people that we're working with in, in Latin America, Mexico, whatnot, they said, he said, Ben, never go in speaking Spanish to them. Let them speak English and you just listen and see if you can pick up on what they're saying after they're not, when they're not speaking English. You would be surprised what people say about you when they don't know if they could. Yes, yes, exactly. And often more than more times than not, it's, it's no big deal, but it is every once in a while. And there are a few situations that, that I had in negotiations specifically where they were discussing the deal. Oh, wow. They were talking to me and literally they were discussing the deal if they could do certain things. And they, I mean, they were pretty brazen to assume that I didn't, I didn't speak Spanish. Yeah, I think that's probably the second most common language that people speak outside of English is Spanish. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, a, it's so funny. So it's, so it's interesting working for international, international company yeah, on that front. Sure. So what is it? So let's dive back into your career, sort of looking back over your shoulder now. You talked about your day moment and what to do. Uh, what is a bit of advice that you were to give your younger self, or maybe something that you would do differently looking back at your career? I, I think a lot of it is just work hard. You know, I tell my kids all the time, I have two teenagers and one, one preteen, and I'm constantly trying to tell them whether it's schoolwork or sports or theater, whatever it is, work hard. Work your hardest at anything that you do because that will help you stand out. Right. No matter what team we're on, whether it's a work team or a sports team or, or anything else, people always rank you. Right. Everyone's always looking. Who's the best? Who's my competition? Right. So work hard. Be, be at the top of that list wherever you can and more opportunities will become available to you. And so from your standpoint, uh, working hard, when, when did this come to you? Were you sort of been, been born with this work ethic or did it come to you later in life? Or I, I went to the the. This, the, the other little known military academy called UPS. So I worked at UPS. 
and I worked the midnight shift. I loaded trucks. I but mm-hmm. it was literally run like the military. Your hair could when you had it couldn't yep. touch your collar, right? You had to be well groomed. You had to be dressed nice. And I've 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 worn a button down shirt and slacks and loaded trucks until you couldn't tell I was wearing a white shirt anymore, right? Because of all the dirt that gets on it. So it really learned work ethic from that because it was it was run like the military. And I think I, while I may have had some to begin with, that really honed me. Yeah, no, I like that. And so communicating this message to your kids, to other people you work with, you might say, hey, you, you need to work hard because it's important. They might say, yeah, but what, what are some strategies that you would share with some people? Like, hey, I want to, maybe some people say, well, they're already working hard. Or, you know, what, what do you say to leaders who say they're, you know, their team's going to respond like that, or they're already working hard, or, hey, my team's suffering burnout. Uh, what's, you know, how do you navigate that conversation? Yeah, it, it, it is tough, especially now in, in the days of COVID where people are working from home. And so you don't have that hour long commute into the office anymore. So you just sit in front of your computer. Yeah. Do you go from, yeah, we were just talking, we're talking about that before we got on. Yeah. yeah. You go from an eight hour day to a 10 hour day yeah. overnight and you don't even realize it. And so it, it is easy. And I think the the main thing, and you've probably heard this before is, is take care of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Prioritize yourself, get out at lunchtime and go for a walk. Don't, don't do what I got caught up in, which is making my lunch and eating it at my computer while working. So now instead of even yeah. taking a lunch break, which I used to go down to the cafeteria at work yep. or something, now I'm working through that. So I, I'm really trying to work hard to change that behavior because uh, before you know it, you, I don't think burnout is something that you see coming. I think it's something that you realize once it's there and at that point it might be too late. So do what you can to to take care of yourself and prioritize yourself. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because it is a balance and, and it, it's sort of a great irony. Yes, you need to work hard. But you can't work hard if you're burned out and not taking care of yourself. It's like, yeah. it's like I, I like to, I, when you said that, I started thinking about like high performance athletes, right? They, they know how to work hard or else they won't be able to perform at their best. Yeah. But it's not like they're doing that constantly without breaks and being very thoughtful about how they're doing it. So when you approach somebody about working hard, you know, adding that kind of context about performance. And the other thing that I think about is, are you familiar with, with ever read about uh, Cal Newport? He, no. he has this, anyway, he, he's a Stanford professor and he's right. I got a couple of books out there, but he has this one called deep work and he has this little formula. And I talk about it a lot. It's a performance or no work achieved is time plus intensity. So like if you're working eight hours, but you're not, but your intensity level's not there. You may not get as done, much work done as someone that say said work four or five hours, but but was more intense and more focused, yeah, less distracted. And so, to me, when I hear the term work hard, I also think about adding that intensity versus yeah. just like oh, I'm just out here working and and like I'm just emailing people versus hey, I'm thinking about the global perspective and being strategic and. Yeah, when someone projects. says they, they work hard, is it well, do you do you do you spend eight hours on the computer or do you are you stopping every five minutes because the notification on your phone is going off? Or you get an alert and you have to watch yes. the latest, you know, Instagram video or something. Because yeah. I could tell you from my kids, that's how they do work. And most kids, you know, in their in their early 20s right now, they're multitasking. They've got headphones in while they're working, they're they're 
they're multitasking and doing a number of different things. And I always wonder, is it, are they really putting 100% into any one thing or are they dividing their time between the three or four things they're trying to do at once? Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download the simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting research out there about this idea of multitasking, which uh, when I was working in the corporate world, sometimes I had a boss that was like, Fang, you need to learn to multitask more effectively. But the research shows that's a misnomer that it's like, as you said, switching, it's task switching, not multitasking. Yeah. And when you switch back and forth, you're less efficient, you have more quality problems. I believe as uh, I heard it coined attention residue which is when you switch from one task to the next, you kind of bring a little bit of that task that's with you. That's a really good, uh, that's a really good it, way of putting and it. And it just sort of messes, it sort of messes up so much. And yeah, I, I had that conversation a lot with, with my team and in, in training and with, with my family too. I'm like, man, you could probably, we could probably get this work done a lot more quickly if we just left our phones in the other room for an hour and just really, yeah. really focused. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, being in the IT world like yourself, your teams are probably bombarded more than anybody because of fire drills, right? Yeah. IT security. Reactive. I mean, how often do you guys get your day interrupted by some sort of new cyber threat? It's almost every day. So you have <laughs> right to now? Really figure out how to manage. You've got to block time in your day to say, okay, I know something's going to happen. So I've got to have a little bit of downtime to be able to respond to it. Ooh. Okay. So tell me more about that. How, do, how, how does that go? So I'll, occasionally I will block some time in my calendar, even if it's just 30 minutes a day. Just, I'll use it just to catch up on email and things like that. But it gives me a little bit of a buffer if I need to move things around because there's a fire drill that we have to go take care of. You know, I think so, too many organizations and leaders and their teams, they don't do that. And oh. in a world, really, and I can't imagine a job that wouldn't benefit from that. So you don't book yourself back to that. You give yourself permission to have a little white space and maybe you got that project, you've got to dust off and you can do that if you don't have an emergency. But, it, but if you do have that buffer time, it does allow you to plan for those emergencies more yeah. to address them. And of course, um, I'm assuming you, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of those in the, in the uh, CISO space. So let's, yeah. let's talk a little bit and, and we, and we deal with the catastrophic cost of turnover a lot and we work with organizations on reducing that. So we, we kind of get into this conversation a lot around staffing and we were just talking y'all before we got on here, Eric, Eric and I about staff shortages, just, just in general, it's just out there so much right now. This is being recorded during the period of sort of on the tail end side of the uh, pandemic and hiring is, is really an issue because unemployment is just so darn low. And um, so what, what's been your philosophy on hiring in an industry where it's just tough to tough to get great talent. Yeah, I think for, first and foremost, trying to be proactive and retain the talent that you do have. Mm. Right. I think yeah. almost every company I've worked for makes the same mistake of 
not reevaluating the market for salary and keeping people where they are, right? Small incremental improvements every year, but nothing significant. And then people leave for a 10 or 15 or $20,000 salary bump at another company. Yeah. And then the cost of recruiting, the cost of missed work and other people potentially having mm -hmm. to work more overtime, whatever, to, to make up for the person that's not there. The reality is it's, it's almost like we we're punishing loyalty, right? We're saying we're not going to give you the money, but if you go somewhere else, you can get it. And that's, mm. that's a really bad message to be sending. So I think that's the first thing is to be proactive. And then as far as the, the shortages, this is the, the reality that we are in the cybersecurity space. There are, you know, at latest research, a few hundred thousand open cybersecurity positions just in the U.S. alone. And it takes on average about six months to find a qualified, experienced person. Hmm. So it, it, it's, a, it's a huge deficit and it's only growing. The, the market research says by 2024, there may be as much as two million unfilled cybersecurity positions. So and colleges are, are, are trying to train people, but it takes years to pump them out through their programs. And so part of what we're doing now is looking internally and saying, if we have someone in the IT space who knows the company, mm -hmm. knows the systems, we could teach them the security part of it, right? It's not hard. I had to learn it. Other people have to learn it. So try to invest in the people that are, that are loyal to the company already and know our systems. And it won't take very long for them to, they don't have to have that six months of onboarding to understand who do I call when this happens and where do I put this ticket? Yes. Into. They know all that. So let's just get them trained up on securities. We've done that with a couple of new hires and it's working out very well so far. Yeah, I love that. That's like finding the right fit for the team. You're like, hey, we're going to teach you how to play point guard, right? You can dribble really well. You're going to, you know, you can develop into this kind of, or a shooting guard or, yeah. uh, and, and learn, you know, looking inside the company, those other characteristics and, and, and letting them get experience from the great mentors that are already there inside the company. I think too many times people just immediately default with, Hey, they're not, they're not qualified, but maybe they're qualified to be an awesome employee inside your organization. I mean, if you can develop the right mechanisms and mentorship, man, what a I great hired a couple of people in my career that had zero security experience, but were passionate and, and, and had a desire to learn. And they've been some of my best hires to date. Ah, okay. There you go. So identifying the pot, the potential and yeah. then developing it versus going outside. Yeah. And there's something to be said for somebody that you've already done projects with, you know, they can deliver. And that may be the hardest thing to hire for is someone that you know will deliver. Even if they've got a sparkling resume, they went to the best schools, the best companies. What will they deliver on deadlines? Yeah. And can you just can job. you figure that out in a 30 minute or 60 minute interview? Very hard to do. Mm -mm. Yeah, it's really tough. And so if you've if you've been to battle with them inside the company on other stuff, you trust them. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I mean, it, it sends a great message too to people inside the company. Like, hey, you know, you, you can really be here for a long period of time. You can find your way. Uh, you don't have to leave to find a new opportunity too. But I'll, yeah, I've, I've told people at my company, the, the, the path to what you want to do, your next job shouldn't be to leave Talos. It should be to find that role internally in the company. Yeah. Is, is that, is that the sort of the message to all the employees inside Talos these days? That's what we've, that's what we've done. We've, we've yeah. been going through like a lot of companies, a big digital transformation. And instead of going out and hiring the people to do these roles, we are looking to promote people from within and give them opportunity to do something new. And it's worked out very well. 
Yeah. Is it, so is this a playbook that you did in Lehman Brothers and whatnot? Or is this something kind of new in Talos that you've it's something I've seen in, in previous roles, yeah, yeah but in, never gone through a digital transformation like this before where we had an opportunity to not go out to the market and try to find people. At my mm -hmm. previous company, we did a big IT cloud transformation, and a lot of our engineers and architects that have been with the company 15, 20 years, they don't have that experience because the cloud just came up in that time. So <laughs> we did have to go out and hire those people yeah. externally, and that's that's tough. Again, you're taking someone who's put their, their lifeblood into the company and then telling them, sorry, you don't have the skill to do your new job, right? It's, it's not a good message to send to people. Yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, I remember an interview I heard with the CEO of Spotify and where he has them, was it, I think it was Spotify, where they have to, everyone has to interview for their jobs again every year. Yeah, I've heard of that too. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you know what, to be honest, if I were to interview for my job, Daniel Eck, I think that's his name. Uh, he's like, if I had an interview for my job these today, I'm not sure I would even qualify for it <laughs> because of the rate of change. Yeah, it's so sure. so fast. And to your point, as leaders, especially you know in in the IT specific focus in the company, staying on the game and being aware of what's happening is tough because you've got a job to do in your current state. But I mean, it just really jarred me when you said, hey, the cloud, right? To me, the cloud seems ever, for a lot of people, the cloud is just normalized now, but we forget that what are we, like the cloud really came on in business, what, five years ago? I mean, are we? Yeah, it's maybe a little bit more than that, but not much before it gained popularity. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, was, it became ubiquitous maybe five years ago, but yeah, we've been around before that. And, but keeping up with this is, is incredible. So in an in a industry, and in, in, in that, that's changing so quickly. What's your message for leaders in terms of how they need to be thinking about keeping up with things? A lot of it is, is spend the time and money to train people, right? We just talked a minute ago about the cost of somebody leaving and what it takes to recruit and onboard and background check and all the things that you have to do to get a new hire on board. We could spend a fraction of that money and train people on some of the new technology especially in IT where, where it's changing on a regular basis. We should have some, some, some ability to get people trained so that they could stay current with their job. So you don't run into the situation like the CEO of Spotify where he's no longer qualified for his own job. Let's, let's keep people trained so that they are qualified to stay in their role. Yeah. Sorry, Spotify. Just, just, yeah. <laughs> this, this podcast is on Spotify. Hopefully they won't ban me. I'm just kidding. I don't think they, they don't care about that, but yeah. No, but it's a very true statement, right? You, you've got you've got to really consider how do we keep people trained so that they are the most, you know, experienced and the best candidate for their job year over year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, we, a lot of the leadership we're doing. I was just on a call with like with, with, with this client this morning, and we've done yet. Yeah, we have this curriculum for the rising leaders. And they're like Ben. We we still want to do that, but we need we need another level for this new environment that we're in right now specifically around cross-functional communication because we're all remote. We're probably not going back to the office. We're more global than we were before the pandemic. And we they really feel like things have changed so quickly, but their leaders haven't really changed their own personal operating system. From, yeah. you know, their wake-up time, how they coordinate with people in different time zones. And so I think this is going to be something that's going to be huge for the next year or two to help leaders really level up or else they're just going to face burnout. 
Yeah, I saw a, a note at the bottom in the email signature of a leader recently that said, I'm sending this message at a time that's convenient for me. Please respond at a time that's convenient for you, right? Because we all work in different time zones and especially working from home, people work odd hours. I thought that was a, a brilliant way to try and change the culture to say, just because the, the CIO emails you at 10 o'clock at night doesn't mean that you have to respond at 10 o'clock at night. Mic drop, yes. <laughs> well, that... That was blasphemy just a couple of years ago, right? I mean, like, if you saw that message, you're going to get a lot of eye rolls. Like, yeah, please, you know? Or, I mean, I can't tell you how many times. Yeah, like, you know, respond. Like, wherever you do, don't send emails after 8 o'clock at night. But then the same person that says that, they're the person doing it, right? They're giving their, like, their team permission not to send emails late at night, yeah. then they're not doing it themselves. So I'm not, I'm not advocating for time zones or how you should do it, but I am advocating for whatever guidelines you're giving your team, hold yourself accountable to that. And that may not be easy if your boss isn't it doing it that way? Of course, but you have to lead by example, right? If you, if you're, if you're the person that says, do what I say, not what I do, then how, how are you leading? How are you demonstrating that this is the way people should behave if you're not behaving that way yourself? So much like parenthood. And you mentioned your children. Yeah, I mean, you can tell <laughs> yeah. them to do this, but they're watching you. <laughs> and yep. whatever you do, that's the real message. Yeah. Yeah. But somebody yeah. say to me once, I listen with my eyes, not with my ears, right? It doesn't matter what you say to me. I watch what you actually do. And when those are two different things, I, I start to think differently about you. You know, one of the ways to navigate that with your team is when you're laying down, say, some operating principles about replying or sending emails or feedback is to, after you do that, say, hey, and I request that if you see me acting differently than this, please bring it to my attention. Politely call me out. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, that, I don't think a lot of leaders are, it's not a comfortable moment when that happens. No. Just like it's not when your kid calls you out either. <laughs> not sure which one's worse. Yeah. Well, the, no, the kid is definitely worse. <laughs> For sure. But it's still going to hurt your pride in both situations. But to be open and, and you strike me as an open leader, you know, sure. but it doesn't always mean it's easy uh, uh, to do that. Um, wow. Well, cool rabbit hole to go down. So let's let's talk about maybe one or two more questions here. Um, what are, what is a key success strategy other than work hard that you think all employees need to understand these days? I think a lot of it is, is have, have integrity, right? Do, mm. do what you say and say what you're going to do. I know these are things that, you know, people say all the time and maybe they don't mean much, but I think it's important. Like I said before, if I say I'm going to do one thing, but you see me doing something different, it's hard to build trust that way. Right. So mm -hmm. you need to I just read somewhere this morning, somebody said, um, you know, do the right thing, even if nobody's watching. Right. That's the mm -hmm. way we should all be behaving, because that's what that's what casts that 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 culture down to our teams. Right. To get them to think about, well, I should be behaving this way because my manager is right. He's not just saying something. He's doing it. I've had security incidents where my team stayed in the office all night. I stayed there with them. Because why should I get to go home and go out to dinner with my family while they're stuck in the office overnight, you know, without a shower, wearing the same clothes? It's you've got to 
you've got to do the things every once in a while that that you need to do to show your you know show the people that work for you that that this is what leadership is i'm not just yeah, a manager i'm actually leading by example that's really getting into the trenches with them yeah that's really getting in the trenches with them uh so what's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that the listeners <laughs> could go out and purchase <sighs> So I, I, I'm, I'm a big tech guy. I love gadgets, but I, I would have to say as silly as it sounds is, is a flashlight. I've been carrying a, a flashlight, flashlight with me as a, as a daily thing every day for the past, you know, eight or 10 years. And I am still surprised how many times in a given week I use it. Right. So I always say, it's just, you never know what, what's, what's any kind of flashlight. Say that again. Any kind of flashlight, like a Not pocket the one flashlight? On your smartphone that, that you could see six inches in front of you, something that's, a good flashlight that, so you could see ahead of you, right? Especially at night or in a dark place, it's it's always good to know where you're going so you can get there safely. So, so when's a memorable time when that flashlight came in? Came into <laughs> I was at um, which uh, uh, an industry conference in a threat intelligence conference from a, a group called FSISAC, Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center. It's like like an RSA or a Gartner type of conference. We were in this okay. giant room. And somebody, I, we, there was standing room only and someone leaned up against the light switch and moved and killed the lights in the whole room, right? The room went pitch black. And I pulled out my flashlight and turned it on because I knew where the door was and someone turned around, saw the light switch and flipped it. But, you know, it's just nice. one of those things that's funny. It's like, would I ever thought that carrying a flashlight in broad daylight would, would be useful, but you just never know. I love it. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's handy. And if you're like me, I, I, there's one on my phone, but I can rarely find it very quickly. Yeah. Like, the time you need it, it's too late. Yeah. No, I, no, that's, that is a great one. And wh what books, podcasts, or music do you recommend for someone in the C-suite or who's on a mission to get there? Yeah. So, you know, in the last maybe four or five years, I've started taking myself and my career a little bit more seriously in that trying to do continuous improvement. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've read books like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by, by Sean Covey. And I think his son wrote a book called The Speed of Trust. And it's all about, mm -hmm. you know, things that you could do in business, things that you could apply those same concepts at home with your family and your friends. You know, one of the things that I liked in one of the habits of the seven, uh, seven habits of highly effective people is called sharpen the saw. Right. Constantly it. work on your skills, do continuous improvement, find a way to continue to keep your skills sharp. And that helps you get ahead and stay ahead. And I've, I've really taken that seriously over the last few years. What, what's your favorite way to sharpen the saw? I think for me, it's, it's, it's going to industry conferences or, mm -hmm. or round tables or things like that and talking to my peers about what they're doing. Because while I may think that what I'm doing in Talis is the right thing, I may sit down and talk to someone else at another company and go, well, I never thought of that. And I need to bring whatever that person's doing back to my company and figure out how to apply it because you know, I'm not the smartest person. I don't know everything. And there's always stuff to be learned. Yeah. The thing about a conference, if you can get in the right room in the conference, sometimes conferences are overwhelming, but if you're a speaker, I think that's a real advantage because one people, you know, can see you in a position of, of, of being knowledgeable and whatnot, but it also does expose you to other speakers that are speaking on topics and you get in that room of people that are on more the cutting edge of what's going on and what's new and allows you to have those conversations in a, in a way that can be so engaging and, and propel you forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think it was tougher during COVID when those conferences weren't going on, there was more virtual 
dialogue going on. But even with that, and we're, and we're not doing this interview in person, we're doing it virtually. When you do it in person, it does add a little bit of that spark. Yeah. And also sometimes those sidebar conversations when the two of you are walking out of the room together that you may hit a, a nugget of knowledge that you wouldn't have done if you were on a virtual because the, totally. you know, the, the, the screen turns off as soon as the presentation's over. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point too. So steered advocate of in-person conferences, I take it. As much as I can. I mean, I, I, do I love working from home? Sure. But do I miss that in person in those hallway yeah. conversations and the things we used to accomplish on the walk to the cafeteria that we just don't get today? Yeah, I, I definitely miss that. So last question I have here is your team, you know, you headquartered in France, your team's all over. Navigating this virtual world that we're in, what are you doing to keep your team together? So you talked about trust, talked about integrity, talked about these things. And these are these can be hard to convey in a virtual landscape. Uh, what are... Uh, what's some of your advice on that front? So I think the, the main thing is, even though, even if you're virtual, continue, or, or you're separated by geography, continue to have those one-on-ones that you have with employees, mm. but don't let them be transactional. Where are you on project A? Tell me about project B. Thanks for your time, right? I know in most cases, how many kids my employees have, what their spouse's names are, if they have pets. You, If you don't have that type of relationship with them and they don't they don't feel that connection with you. It's really easy for another company to swoop in and take them away because they have no connection to you. Wow. So just the leadership connection or the leadership connection, the team connection. Yeah. And prioritize personal it. from time to time you have to, otherwise that's all you'll be known as. I have to just go in and give my boss a status update. It's not the same as I'm having a one-on-one -on -one and, and maybe we, maybe we never get to talk about the project because we're talking about other things going on and we run out of time and those are great too. In order to do that, leaders have got to see the value, understand the value, because it's so hard when there's, you guys are, you got some cyber threat going on or some other urgency, but just pushing it aside for a few minutes and really focusing on the person. I mean, that's how you ultimately get performance and connection and trust. I mean, some really valuable insights there. So yeah. wrapping this up, uh, Eric, what's your parting thought for the listeners today? So I think it's it just, you know, if you're, if you're going to lead, lead by example, right? Like I said before, do the right thing, even if no one's watching, because someone's always watching, right? Set, set an example, create a culture of transparency where people can come talk to you. They can come tell you, hey, I'm not really loving what I'm doing here. I'd love to do another opportunity, right? And have them have the, mm -hmm. the trust in you that they can do that without thinking they're going to get fired tomorrow. <laughs> yes, that's a good policy. Because if they're thinking they're getting beat to, to be fired tomorrow, then they're not going to be offering up those, those helpful insights. Yeah, the performance is going to go right down. So yeah. yeah, just it's lead by example. Do the right thing and make sure your people see you doing it. Thanks, Eric. No problem. This is a great time. Thanks for having me. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping.
Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.